Just slapdash. What? Just ship it. Get it out the door. You know, doesn't matter. All right, give me a give me a clap. Oh goodness. Ready? Yep. Wee! You did it. Okay, my clap. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. Why? You said a clap, not a series of claps in a song. Well, I mean, if you feel really burnt about it, you can uh, clap more. Whoa, is that a Spider-Man mug? No, it's just a funny pattern. Uh, it looks like a web. It's just an exotic print. It also looks like uh, scales on a lizard. Yep, it might be. Lizardy, lizardy, uh, lizardy lizard scales. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Nina, tell me about your life. My life. What did you do today? Today was very chill. I did a lot of stuff, um, a lot of work, just organizing myself, getting my self sorted for the week. Acting wise, did a lot of submissions. Nice. I'm drawing up a, got to come up with a marketing plan. So I'm starting to, to mull over a few things there. Does this podcast fit into your marketing plan? It does. Once a week, we do this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I honestly like. I feel like more people listen to the podcast on my side of it. Yes, I would agree. But I don't really know. It's just I talk to I like I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a peddler of my wares. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, coworker, my podcast is out. You should listen to it and <laughs> tell me how you feel about it. And I might have made fun of you in the middle of it. And uh, I never talk about them, but uh, that makes them listen. That's true. That's smart. And they never know where it's going to come up. So they have to listen mm-hmm. to the whole thing. That's right. That's right. But I think my, my friend circles and coworkers are more podcast inclined than uh, yours. I don't know. I know quite a few people who listen to podcasts. Oh, do you? Yeah. Do you ever just kind of drop a little, oh, by the way, I I mean, do I don't really talk about podcasts that often, but. I'm telling you, the conversations we have in these podcasts are like the greatest launch platforms for conversations with other people. Really? Have people brought yeah, up things outside of the yeah, podcast? Absolutely. Especially lately, what has been just killing it has been the hair discussion. Really? A lot of different uh, angles at the uh, on the hair cleaning front, as you might imagine, because there's different types of hair um, in different climates. But uh, yeah, we were at a bar, and um, the 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 waitress she had like really dark black hair, and uh, somehow she caught us talking about uh, the baby powder situation. So. Obviously, ever the scientist, I, uh, I wanted to increase my uh, sample size, so I asked her. And then, for whatever reason, she just thought it was like a cute, fun conversation and then brought over her other co-waitresses and <laughs> we just all like went through like everybody's hair care strategy. It was just it was shenanigans. Was there a common denominator? What was the general consensus? Most girls, it seemed like... Um, Tended to not use the baby powder and tended to use the dry shampoo more. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it seems to be that like the shampooing roughly sounds like three-ish 
times a week is kind of where it's mm. at. Although one, this one girl at the bar was like, I shampoo every day. That seems excessive. Her hair looked kind of, eh, kind of jank, so. There you go. Yep. I, th- I, I, I thought it was too much, and I thought it showed. See? Yeah. I didn't tell that to her face because I, uh, that would have been mean. Well, I hope she's listening because now no. she knows oh, no. that you disapprove. How does, how does one broach that? Just be like, you know, maybe you would look better if you didn't wash your hair as much. It just seems like such an awkward. That is an awkward thing to say. How could you How could you get that, insert that in somehow? Like, I feel like the only way you could do that is to like subtly like, like start listening to our show at like episode one and just hope they're hooked enough to get to episode five and get and be, and maybe it would like trigger some sort of like reflection on like, well I wash my hair every day, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's a good way to broach that discussion. I would agree. Not yeah, yeah. touch any good ways. I think all you can do is just encourage people to. Uh, to uh, screw around with their uh, their beauty practices in the hopes that they stumble upon uh, an improvement. Stumble upon an improvement. But wouldn't, Indeed. wouldn't Indeed. it be nice if you could just save them the time of stumbling around and just say, look, this is what you got to do, hon. That's what we're doing here. We're getting closer to the truth of ideal hair care. <laughs> right, but like then you need to take this knowledge and spread it with others. You need to be like, look, listen. I listened to this podcast, and mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. made some strong arguments for not washing right. your hair every day. Damn and right, yeah. Every day is too much. Based on clearly. how shitty your hair looks from you washing it every day, you should mm-hmm. tone it down. Yep. I even don't like the way it looks on the days that I do wash it. I'm just like, oh, I can't wait for this to be a day old and look great. <laughs> your day old stale hair. <laughs> yes, it's so much better. Oh, oh well. That's the price of vanity, Nina. That is the price. That okay, do you want to do price. follow up really quick? Let's do it. Surprise, surprise! It's about hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did my homework. I did it. Okay. I know. You're you're excited. Okay, so I asked him about it, and mm-hmm. here's the here's the uh, procedure for baking soda and vinegar in your hair. Okay. Um, he started with baking soda like solution. Put a little bit of baking soda, mix more water. It sounded like it was like a one-part to nine-part ratio. Not strict, but quite dilute. You use that in your hair first like as like the shampoo. You rinse it out. And then uh, a similar procedure with the vinegar, and he used apple cider vinegar. So he did smell like a salad, apparently. Uh, I don't actually think the smell was so strong. I think it did, did rinse out fine. But yeah, apple cider vinegar. Did you smell his hair? Uh, he doesn't do this anymore. Um, and uh, I wouldn't have done that in either case. <laughs> <laughs> so why did he um, stop this routine? <sighs> Nina, stop. <laughs> this is as far as I went. Chris, <laughs> you need to be thorough with your follow-up. Oh, come on. Come on, be efficient. Ask all uh, the questions at once. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. Can't, can't it just be a bit of a mystery, Nina? Can't we just leave it... At, Leave it the way it is. No, we've already delved this deep into the subject. <laughs> I don't know that we need to get to the bottom of the baking soda vinegar thing. <laughs> it sounds like you want to, though. I definitely want to. Yeah. 
I want all the answers. Well, that's all I've got for follow-up. Today is a sparse follow-up episode. All right. So let's get down to business. What, what is this? Do you see the top thing mm-hmm. and the things to talk about? I do. Let me ask you a question, Nina. And ask how you away, answer Chris. this question is kind of important to me. Because as you know, um, if you are an argumentative person like me, and you also consider yourself reasonable, like I also do, then you don't really get into heated debates, arguments over important topics, like, you know, like politics or religion. It's always nuanced and um, many shades of gray, yes. if you will. Mm-hmm. However, because I'm argumentative, I love, you know, having strong opinions about dumb crap. And I have a very strong opinion about grilled cheese sandwiches. And so what I want you to do for me is tell me in your mind, what is a grilled cheese sandwich? What is a grilled cheese sandwich? Not my process for making it, but like, what is it? No, no, no. Yeah. Like what defines a grilled cheese sandwich? Uh, A grilled cheese sandwich to me Mm -hmm. means that there's melted cheese in the middle. Okay. Of two slices of bread. Yep. Bread has to have some sort of texture, like a little crunch due to the cooking process. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So it sounds like you listed two things there. It has to have bread and it has to have cheese. Indeed. Okay, now here's the more important thing. What happens if you add something to that list? Depends on what it is. What if you add tomato? Is it still a grilled cheese? Well, what's your tomato to cheese ratio? Mm, I don't like. I don't like. Uh, I don't like where you're going with this already. I think I uh, like a normal slice of tomato, like a, the amount you would put on a sandwich. Like okay, one slice. If you still have. More cheese, mm. you can you can call it a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich. Oh, you're going to call it a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich? Yes, I am going to add the tomato in the title. Oh, man, you, you had me so worried that you were going to call that a grilled cheese. Full stop. No way. But you saved it. You so saved it, Nina. I couldn't be more proud of you. I couldn't <laughs> be more proud of our family and the fact that we share the same last name. You are... <laughs> Completely correct that it is not a grilled cheese. It's a grilled cheese and tomato. Sandwich. It is a grilled cheese and Which. tomato sandwich. Or what I would call it is a melt. I would call that a melt. But it's not a grilled cheese, more importantly. And I think, uh, I, I feel like we have some common ground here. Adding, an, adding a non-cheese to the ingredients list. Changes the sandwich, Fun. absolutely. It removes it, yeah, right, good, good. Because in my mind... There is only one thing that is a grilled cheese sandwich, and it is a three-ingredient sandwich. Bread, cheese, and butter. That's it. Okay. You cannot, no spinach, no tomato, no ham, no other BS. Anything else changes the sandwich fundamentally. If you're adding things, it's probably a melt. And if you're adding, like, interesting things that are really, like, flavorful and, de- and defining of the... Mm, are really flavorful and define the taste of the sandwich, then you just name them after those ingredients. You're like, oh, this is a this is a toasted cheese and ham sandwich. 
Wait, now here's a question for you. Yeah. Where does this sandwich fall? It's a grilled cheese, but you add some sort of spread or condiment on to the bread. It's not really enough to be considered a full-on ingredient. Like what? Like, let's say you wanted to add a little pesto or a little olive tapenade or just a little schmear of something on the bread of the grilled cheese sandwich. No. A grilled cheese is three things, Nina. What would you call it? What would you call that sandwich? It's bread, butter, what and cheese. What would you cheese. call that sandwich? You could call it a grilled cheese with pesto. I would be See? totally fine with that. A grilled cheese with, with pesto. pesto. But you would still call it a grilled cheese sandwich with pesto. It's not a grilled cheese. It's a grilled cheese with pesto. No, it's a grilled cheese sandwich with pesto. I don't, you just said what I just said. Yeah, but like, I'd steal a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm getting worried now. <laughs> I'm getting worried that you consider this sandwich a grilled cheese sandwich. I wouldn't just leave it at that. I would add the pesto, but I would still say the words grilled cheese sandwich in that order connected to each other. You would say, but I don't understand. I feel like there's a conflict here in that you're saying it's a grilled cheese sandwich, but you're, all, you're also feeling compelled to tell me about the extra ingredient because you know, fundamentally, a grilled cheese sandwich is only bread, cheese, and butter. However, you're also, I don't know, you like to say grilled cheese sandwich, perhaps? I, I agree, maybe it's more accurate to say grilled cheese with pesto than to say it's a melt mm-hmm. and then describe it's a melt that has cheese and pesto. And maybe I will uh, reconsider my position on calling things like that melts. Because hmm. in that case, I would say cheese is still pretty much, pretty much the main at the start. It there. is. Okay. Okay. Mm. You're 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 calming me down a bit. You see, this is this is a sandwich on the edge. Okay. So if I hand you a grilled cheese sandwich that has pesto in it, and I just say, "Here's a grilled cheese," you're gonna be you're gonna be confused. Perhaps, Absolutely. If you bite into it and find out that there's pesto in it. But if you tell me, here is a melt with pesto, I'm going to be like, well, what else is in there? Okay, you know what? Let me rescind. Let me, let me concede that calling these things a melt was wrong. And I apologize. And uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt the, uh, if it has more than one ingredient or like more than three ingredients, because I think you could still say grilled cheese with tomato and spinach. That's true. That's true. Yeah. An abomination, but you could still call it Is it, it the addition of protein that makes it a melt? I feel like a protein r- fundamentally changes the sandwich more than just adding an extra ingredient. I mean, they all change it from a grilled cheese because a grilled cheese is only butter, bread, and cheese. Uh, but the protein, yeah, yeah, the protein really changes the game. I agree. I think the protein is what classifies it as a melt. Because then you got yourself a tuna melt. You could do a turkey melt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ooh, we're getting to the heart of things here. Although I guess you could have yeah. a veggie melt. But the grilled cheese is already a vegetarian dish. That's true. But what if you wanted to add some, you know, fiber and vitamins to the mix? You just whole, whole, whole grain bread. Or you could Done. just throw on some zucchinis. Then it's not a grilled cheese anymore, Nina. Right. That's what I'm saying is that there is such a sandwich as a veggie melt. Uh, yeah. Okay. 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 But secretly, the veggie melt is just a grilled cheese with zucchini. Or what if you had a lot of vegetables, okay? What if you add zucchini and a portobello mushroom and like some carrots? Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if, 
Yeah, the more the more non-cheese ingredients you add, the more you drift towards melt status and not modified grilled cheese status. Exactly. Mm. Mm. How, what do you think the tipping point is? I feel like two is on the line. I feel like you could just say, this is a grilled cheese with uh, zucchini and mushroom. But if you had to say, this is a grilled cheese with zucchini, mushroom, and bell peppers, now we're getting a little out of control. Maybe that's a vegetable right. now. But then isn't it ironic that if you have just one additional ingredient of a protein, like a ham, it's no right. longer a grilled cheese with ham. It's no, it's, it's definitely a ham. not. That's a that's that's a, yeah. You would either call it a melt or you would call it like a toasted, ham and cheese sandwich. Uh, ham yeah. and cheese sandwich. Ham's a game changer. Dead animal really changes uh, the nature of, of I agree. Uh, a meal. Now here's another mm. question on the grilled yep. cheese front. What yep. is your process? Describe to me the process of preparing this dish to go into the pan. What what okay. is your order of procedure? I keep it I keep it pretty simple these days, okay? I basically do all of my cooking on cast mm-hmm. iron skillets. So what I will do is I will uh I'll get out all the ingredients. I will put the skillet to on like a low mm-hmm. medium setting. I'll put a big dollop of butter into the pan. And by the time the butter is completely melted and coated the bottom of the pan, I am ready to place the bread into the pan. And so I, I, put, the, I t- put the bottom slices of bread in. I slice the cheese. I put the sliced cheese onto the bread face up while it's still in the pan. And then I just, the last step, which is not a time-sensitive one because it's not really important until flipping time, I put the top parts of the bread on. Then I kind of check the butter levels on the pan. If I feel like the pan's getting a little dry, I'll add another pad of butter before the flip, and I'll make sure it's covering the bottom again, and then flip the, flip the sandwiches. Um, and then and that's it. Um, I, use, I, I, I used to spread the butter on the bread. Yeah. Now, now I don't. I skip that step entirely because the, for whatever reason, the cast iron skillet is like really, a really good delivery vehicle for butter. Like, it just like it holds it, and it's like, Oh, here comes some bread, and it just like like little buses of like cast iron like robots just like shove buttery flavor into the bread, and it's amazing. Hmm. See, I like I like buttering the bread. I butter the bread. But that means uh, you got to have uh, either butter that's been out, uh, or butter that's like spreadable. Yep. Yeah, I just keep all my butter in the fridge and just let the pan do the work. I do both. I butter the pan and I butter the sandwich, and it's. You probably get better butter action because of that. Honestly. I get a lot better butter action. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> love it! <laughs> well, what is your sequence? Will you not place? Uh, will you you place the whole sandwich in the pan at once? I, I kind do. Of build the sandwich in the pan. No, I build the sandwich outside of the pan. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that gives you an advantage? No, that's that's false. I guess I build it in the pan, but I assemble it all at the same time. Upon putting the first slice of bread in the pan, yeah. then I immediately add the cheese and the second. Yeah, slice I'm, of bread. I'm not like you know writing a novel in between these steps. I'm doing them you know one after another, but I'm not in a hurry. Like you know, 
I, I, I am, I try to get the cheese on quick because I want that cheese to get a little warm, ooey gooey, melty delty. However, the top part of the bread, I'm just like, eh, whatever. It, go, no. it goes on when it goes on. It usually goes on right away, but I'm not in a rush. Mine's got to go on right away. Okay, okay. I want maximum time for the cheese to melt on both slices of bread. I want mm-hmm. that cheese to start sticking as soon as possible. Ah, uh, okay. I, I just want, uh, I don't want total meltage. I just want enough meltage that it sticks firmly. It, like, it's gluing the two pieces of bread together. That's what I'm looking for. Hmm. No, I'm looking for total oozing out the side meltage. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I can I can respect that. That's a uh, that's kind of like the visual magic of a grilled cheese. Exactly. But, uh, for me, the visual it's magic eating it with your eyes. <laughs> eating for me, the visual magic is the uh, the golden brown from the buttery toast, which I also get more of because of my double butter process. Right. You say that, and I believe you, but maybe we should one day just exchange uh, grilled cheese sandwiches and see if it really makes a difference. You know, scientific. Be scientific. Let's do it. We'll have a grilled cheese yep. off. That'd be great. And you know what? We'll both be winners because we're eating grilled cheese <laughs> we're sandwiches. We're both happily eating <laughs> cheese and bread and butter. Yeah. I, ha- I, I and The grilled cheese has made a resurgence in my life because I've had to uh, come up with a new... Uh, a new like vegetarian snack. Why vegetarian? Uh, you know, um, I don't think there'll ever be a time in my life when I don't eat meat, but uh, I feel like it's uh, it's good to kind of cut some of it out. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I eat less. I eat beef the least now because it's the worst <laughs> for the environment. Uh, but I still eat it. Mm-hmm. And I still eat quite a bit of chicken, so my conscience is not clean. You know, slaying animals, but you know, whatever. You gotta do what you gotta do. And I like to eat meat, so bacon. I'm not giving that up. I concur. I concur with mm-hmm. it all. So. But yeah, I had to stop because uh, I used to eat. Uh, I used to eat a lot of popcorn, and then I told my mom this, and she got very sad and was like, "Hey, microwavable popcorn is really bad for you." So. Oh really. Yeah, apparently it's like bad for your lungs or something. I don't know. Um, I I I curse I cursorily I don't know how to say that word. I briefly uh, read a couple of articles about it, and it seemed uh, not totally convincing, but enough to make me stop. So pretty convincing. Yeah. More than fifty percent. Okay. Convincing. Right. I was convinced, but I was not fully convinced. I wasn't like I will stake my life on that microwavable popcorn is bad for you right right it I probably see. is but i miss it you miss <laughs> it's it. so yummy just buy it popped already in the store uh ew no no i can't do that what it's so good i buy it from whole foods whole foods has this popcorn with just olive oil and sea salt Ooh, wow mm-hmm. yeah. whoa I do love olive oil. It's so good. What is your, uh, what's your uh, grocery shopping strategy? What is my grocery shopping strategy? Well, yeah. I usually hit up the Trader Joe's and the Whole Foods. Those are my two staples. Mm. Let me guess. You do the Trader Joe's for the bulk items, for the, 
for the essentials, and you do the whole foods for the uh, kind of like the treats, the luxury goods. Wrong. Whoa. Correct me, please. I do. I do whole foods for um, my meats and my eggs mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. um, I watched in a documentary once and they said that you vote with your dollar. So whatever you buy is what the grocery stores will supply. So okay. I vote by buying those fancy schmancy chickens that are like non-GMO, no antibiotics, free range, gotcha. all that good stuff. Gotcha. Same with the eggs. I see. Right. And I buy my um, cultured grass-fed butter from Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're fancy. And then I usually buy my, of course, I buy my popcorn with olive oil. <laughs> And then sometimes I'll buy uh, whatever, if they have like good organic like fruits or veggies, I'll buy some of those that are on sale or whatever. Oh, so, you, so really you're doing the bulk of your shopping at Whole Foods? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Well, I wow. do the basics at Whole Foods and then I go to Trader Joe's and buy all the, I buy my cereals at Whole Foods, I mean at Trader Joe's. I uh -huh. buy any like snacks huh. like hummus or... Uh, actually, Trader Joe's has really good organic apples, cheeses, like mm. whatever I'm, my wine. I always buy Trader Joe's. Right on. What is your grocery store uh, routine? I go to one grocery store, the one that's nearest to my house. <laughs> that's a fairly, <laughs> fairly simple routine. Yeah, I, I go probably once a week, and uh, I just get the things that are on my list. You make a and list? And it tends to be the same things. Yeah, I use uh, I, my little notes app on my phone. I, uh, when I run out of something at the, at the house, it syncs with the notes app that's on my computer. And my computer's always on, and so I just bloop, plop down, type it down really quick, get eggs or get batteries or get... Mm, more mm, pasta or whatever it is. And then I just go and I do a little check off the little check boxes. Mm. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm usually buying the same stuff. I kind of just kind of rotate through the same recipes. Because uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I'm usually just cooking for one. So I'm cooking for like bulk. Right. And then, for the uh, week. And then I just eat the leftovers. Yeah. Hmm. Killing it. Doesn't it suck cooking for one? Man, it's just like, ugh. Uh, it, it does. It really does. There's no magic there. And then it's just like, you know who's going to have to wash these dishes? Me. Yep. You know who's going to eat this same damn meal for the next week? Me. Me. <laughs> yeah, cooking for one, the worst. Yep. Yeah. Which is sad because I love to cook. But then it's like, ugh, how much of this damn asparagus can you eat right yeah you're, you're you're very creatively limited when you're cooking for one and so it's good if you are um, a not picky eater that's true but also i feel like when you're cooking for one you're almost like forced to keep eating at home because you have all of this food that you've cooked whereas like and you need to eat it before it goes bad. Otherwise, yeah. you're wasting it. <laughs> so, like, friends like, oh, let's go to lunch. I can't. I got to eat my chicken and asparagus. This is the vicious cycle of cooking for one. Asparagus. 
you cook for one, you cook in bulk, and then when you uh, are offered a social outing, potentially with the chance to meet a person who could turn to this cook into for. cooking for two, you can't because you got to keep cooking for one. You got to eat all the shit that you cooked for one. It's oh, it's it's like a feedback loop. It's cooking it's a- for one leads to more cooking for one. <laughs> it's a horrible cycle. It's a horrible cycle. <laughs> Unless then I get sick, of, I get so sick of it. I just stop cooking completely, and I just end up like snacking for every meal, mm. which is even worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it gets you. It just gets you. It sneaks up. That's uh, very illuminating, Nina. You're so wise. <laughs> well, I am. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you? Uh, what, what's your bag situation? Oh, I always bring my bags. Dude, I just got on that gravy train. I feel so. I feel so like environmentally conscious. Does um, do they charge you for bags up there? No. See, in LA, they've eliminated free bags. You have to now pay ten cents if you're gonna use a bag from the grocery store, and they're mm-hmm. all paper. Oh, cool. There are no more plastic bags in LA. I like that. Well, actually, maybe C- Well, no, even CVS has. The only bags. thing I don't like about that is it means you have to plan your grocery trips a little bit more. Or just keep your bags in your car. I always keep my bags in my car. Uh, that's kind of what I do. I do occasionally forget them in the house because what I'll do is I'll leave them in the car most of the time, go grocery shopping, fill them up, bring them in the house. And then instead of immediately returning them to the car, I like leave them by the door with the hopes that like when I'm leaving to go to my car in the future, future me will remember that those bags are there and will pick them up and put them in the trunk. That doesn't happen so often. (laughs) Future me, he's always forgetting about those bags. Dang, future me. (laughs) They just blend in. (laughs) You should hang them on the doorknob. Yeah, I should. I should should put them in such a way that they are unignorable. And again, your wisdom is going to guide me here. And that's what I'm going to do from now on. I'm glad I could be of help to you, Chris. That's... Takes, uh, it takes 30 minutes to, of talking to you, but eventually we'll get to uh, a life improvement. Put the, uh, <laughs> put, the, put the bags put the bags on the handle. Put the you bags dummy. on the handle. You, you cannot, you, you dummy. You cannot ignore, ignore them if they're on the door handle. Wise words, wise words. Oh, here's a question for you. Yeah, tell me, Nina. Ask me, Nina. What is your stance on... The phone conversation versus the text conversation. I mean, I have opinions here, and I think we've touched on this a little bit. I don't like talking on the phone. Oh, you're right. We did touch on this. Yeah. I prefer texting. In all situations? Basically, yeah. There obviously are exceptions, like emergencies, very sad moments should be over the phone. Um, what if like what if like what if there's someone that you're trying to do like a business deal with and they prefer to talk on the phone they prefer to talk on the phone Mm -hmm. Uh, it depends Uh, I guess it depends on the situation then doesn't the phone call seem more professional (sighs) 
Uh, maybe. Like, I would want to get it to an in-face meeting as soon as possible. And if I couldn't, if it was like, if we were physically too far away for that, I would then be like, look, can we please do like a video call? It's just, it's so much more helpful and relaxing for me when I can see somebody's face. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it is. The phone is like this kind of weird middle ground where my brain like isn't sure how to handle it. My brain is like, is this person here? They're, I don't see them, but I hear them. And I think that's what gets me is the fact that like it's kind of on the edge where like with me, I'm so trained that text just means this person is far away. Like, well, in, or this person is like unreachable in other ways. Also, the business, all, that, that business question also depends on like, um, like, the, like a case by case. What is the nature of this business deal? Does somebody here have more power than the other person? Like, is somebody offering me something? Are they selling me something? Um, obviously, I guess the goal for a business deal is that it's mutually beneficial, but I think like all deals, it probably benefits one person more than the other. Uh, so that would depend. And the, the less power I had, probably the more willing I would be to like dress up, put a tie on or like bend myself to their schedule and be on the phone with them if that's what their preference was. But it really depends. Yeah. Like what if the only options were in-person meeting or over the phone? I would absolutely choose in-person meeting. Of course. But what if they were like, oh, I have to hop on a plane to New York. Can we just, can we just do a quick, can we make this a phone call? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not unreasonable about it. I don't, I, I just state my preference early on. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I prefer email or text. It's, but, but if it's just like, we need to, we need to talk. That seems so impersonal though. Like email or text. It, Maybe. I don't know. I use a lot of emojis. That makes it personal. No. <laughs> you don't get a sense of the person. You don't get like the voice, the intonation, yeah. Yeah. the inflection. Is Are they charismatic? Right. And, and yet, and like here we are doing an audio only medium and I find it so, mm, I, I really enjoy listening and making podcasts. And even when this conversation is over and I'm like editing it or something and I can't see your face. I still like listening to us talk. So it's not just the audio. I'm not entirely sure what is the fundamental problem I have with phones. And it's not like outrageous. Like I still talk to people on the phone all the time. It's just my preference is not to talk on the phone. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just a weirdo. That's, yeah, that's weird. Mm. That's interesting. Yep, yep. That's, what, that's how I do it. Maybe it's because I literally talk on the phone with somebody every day. As part of your job? No, like I talk, I talk with my mom every day on the phone. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Yep, I'll do the phone call. I really will if, 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 if the situation calls for it, but my preference is in person or text. Now, what about voice memos? Have you ever used those? No, I never use those. Me neither. Uh, I, 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 do, I do use the Notes app on my phone mm -hmm. for notes. Um, 
anything that's complicated or something, I always write down in a notebook. I have like a notebook at work that I use for notes. And I have many notebooks at home that I use for different projects. I usually just do like one notebook per project or one notebook per like type of project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so creative stuff almost always or like things that I can like release to the internet. Those things almost always get written down pen and paper. Um, obviously with the exception of this podcast. Um, other than that, little like one-liner notes will just go on my phone. What's your note-taking strategy? Hmm. I have to... I mean, I have to write it down. Otherwise, I won't remember it. Right. I prefer handwriting it. Mm-hmm. If I don't have any writing utensils at my disposal then i'll use my notes on my phone like all my my to-do lists all my lists are in my notes section on my phone but like if i'm sitting in a meeting taking notes then i'll want to write it down right right i mean that's writing it down just kind of does something in your head that like makes i know even in college i preferred to write everything down right and it's not even that no, I won't always. In fact, many. I think probably the majority of the time, I don't even look at those notes once I've written them. Right. It's just the process of right. writing it. Right. No, I think I, I used to use my notes. It de- it depends on what I'm working on. Like at like work, if it's a tricky programming problem, um, I have to look at what I wrote down because I can't keep all of like the moving parts in my head. Mm-hmm. And so like I'll work on like one part at a time, and then I'll like go back to like the overall design that I drew up at the beginning. And, like, use that as a reference and, like, mm-hmm. okay, what do I need to do next? Mm-hmm. Those things I probably go to, I probably return to many times. But, like, quick little one-liner notes that I write down, I probably don't return to them 90% of the time. And it's just whatever it is, the physical action of writing a note puts it in a different part of my brain that is more permanent. Hmm. Same thing in college. I would always take notes, and I I wouldn't always go back to them. Yeah, but I think it is just the act of physically writing it down, like, with your hand. Yeah. And maybe it's partially watching yourself write it down. Hmm. Yeah, I, the, the theory I heard was that, like, you're listening, and people speak faster than you can write. And so what you have to do on the fly is basically, like, summarize the important points and since you are like forcing yourself to listen to the presenter or whatever is happening that is causing the note taking, mm-hmm. you still can't write fast enough to just verbatim write down what they're saying. So your brain is like working a little bit extra hard to like turn what they're saying into kind of like a shorter, more condensed, more precise, more pure version of what they said, mm-hmm. and then just plop it on a piece of paper. But I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Brains are weird. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. What is this? You hate doing cardio? Uh, I hate doing cardio in the gym. So treadmills mm-hmm. are just like the worst thing in the world. Uh, I, the, the, like the running gait, like how you run on a treadmill feels so weird to me. It feels nothing like really running because it's almost running. <laughs> it is like, running. 
I like it, like that's uh, but that's the thing. It, it's almost running. You're not actually going anywhere. Your body knows that you're not physically going anywhere. It's just the floor is moving underneath you. And so the mechanics of running are different on a treadmill than they are in the real world or really running. And that subtle difference just irks me so hard. It feels so wrong to me. <laughs> I cannot stand running on a treadmill. I would rather like run through a blizzard than run on a treadmill. Like, and, and what I usually choose to do in the middle of winter is just not run. <laughs> I love running. What about like, wait, what about like, like treadmills are supposed to be so much easier on your knees though. Uh, are they? I don't know that they are. They feel, they feel more like I'm jumping up and down. Like I can't get like a nice, smooth, clean stride like I can when I'm running outside. The act of moving your... Maybe you just need to run more on a treadmill. Yeah, that's exactly not what I don't need to do. <laughs> just, maybe you need to do this thing you hate more. <laughs> no, I don't want to, Nina. I've run plenty on a treadmill, and I've hated every mile that I've done. But, like, I have a great it. stride on a treadmill, so I don't know why. what's up with your stride. I mean, it's fine that you like treadmills. I'm just <laughs> telling you that I hate them. Uh, Stepmasters stationary bikes, uh, ellipticals, all of this is BS. I hate all of that, too. There's probably only one stationary cardio machine that I like to use, and that's, like, the the rowing machine, the rowing ergometer. Yeah. That's a lovely bit of kit. Um, And I think the secret with that one is that your hips are, like, moving a large distance because you're... You're stroking in and you're stroking out. Right. Or I don't I don't know what it is, but I just enjoy I enjoy rowing. In fact, I probably enjoy rowing on a fake rower than I would on a real rower because uh, if I screw it up on a fake roller rower, I uh, I don't go in the I don't go in the water. That's true. That is very yeah. true. <laughs> Maybe it's because like your whole body is involved. I think that might be part of it because it is very full body. Yeah. You're not just, like, using your legs. Yeah, that's, that, that could be it. What about, like, what about, like, um, like, explosive stuff, like doing the burpees to get your heart rate up or the rowing, I mean, um, ugh, mountain yeah. climbers. That, right. That's what I do in the winter. Um, that's what I basically, I do stuff like that in the winter for cardio. I do, like, indoor body weight, like, circuits. Mm-hmm. Like, Nothing that's like extremely difficult and taxing. Just something that I can do over, over and over and over again. And I usually like will pick, pick like a handful of exercises so it doesn't get boring. And that's usually what I'll do. Um, so that stuff's fine. It seems to be mostly the cardio equipment I dislike. And it sounds like you like most of it. Well, my it's funny because I don't mind it, but like my usual routine. I probably I usually spend ten minutes warming up on um, like an arc trainer or something akin to like a like a um, elliptical or something like that. Uh-huh. Then I'll go off and I do I do my own circuits too with like plyometrics, resistance. Yeah. Well, when you were living in Virginia in the like the drags of winter, what would you do for a cardio? Just that? No, in Virginia. Because in I, L.A., you can always go running, right. like, 
other uh, smog notwithstanding. Right. No, I would um I would use a treadmill. Yeah, I would use the I would use the dreaded cardio equipment, or I would go swimming. Mm, the pavilion's heated pool. Mm, what love up? Love it. <laughs> it's so good. Great. And they had a sauna. That place was outrageous. It was so good. Well, have you been? There's a new uh, Gold's Gym over there. Yeah, I went with Eric once. It was pretty good. They had super quite nice. a bit of kit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have that pavilion charm, though, I got to say. You really? Pavilion feels like home, man. That is I love so that place. bizarre. Yeah. I've got so I've got fond memories of the pavilion, man. I know, just, but like Gold's is just like. We hung out there so much. Gold's has so much equipment. Gold's is just like. It's got. It, 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 I mean, if you think of it, they've got it. Don't get me wrong. They've got everything you could possibly want. Yeah. Puts the pavilion to shame. For fitness, if you have uh, a pool and you've got a place to run and you've got some dumbbells, you're basically good. Uh, just, you know, the other stuff keeps it more interesting. But it's like, yeah, you could basically be just as fit with that minimal kit than as you could be with the fully fledged Gold's Gym. I would prefer the fully fledged Gold's Gym, don't get me wrong. But it is uh, superfluous, if you will. Hmm. But then I think it also, like the crowd that you work out with mm-hmm. can also help. Yeah, I think mm, I only was at the Golds once, and it did seem like there was a pretty good crew of people, like people who were like interested in fitness mm-hmm. more than casually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of get that now because half of my workouts are just at home with my home stuff, and the other half are at the climbing gym, which also has like a small gym in it. And uh, I don't know, people who climb are f- very fitness oriented, outdoorsy people, so it's always a good crew. Oh, nice! And the the gym is pretty is pretty Spartan. It doesn't have too much stuff in it, but it's got enough to get the job done. How is that? How is the climbing? I love it. I haven't done it. I hadn't done it since high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my coworkers is she's just a huge climber, and she's always peddling her uh, climbing cult evangelism on all the new employees. And I was just like, you know, I haven't been climbing. Let's go do it. And uh, now I have a membership, and we go twice a week. <laughs> you've joined. She got me. You've joined the cult. Yeah, yeah, I have. I won't be a lost cause until I start doing uh, lead climbing. Then, then you'll know. Then, then you'll know I'm too far gone. What is that? Uh, so kind of like level one of climbing comes in two flavors. Bouldering, which is very low climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very short problems, like usually like 10, 15 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very like powerful moves, like very short and intense. And there's no ropes. You just put climbing shoes on, you chalk up your hands, and you go for it. And if you fall, you fall into, like, these big uh, foam crash pads. Mm. Um, that's kind of, like, a good way to get started because there's no ropes involved. But still, bouldering is not for everybody, and it can be really hard, for your, really hard on your hands, like, the more you do it. Because, because bouldering is shorter, the moves are usually a little bit more aggressive. 
and aggressive moves on your hands like is brutal mm. like you can like you'll like rip skin off and all this crap anyway uh the other kind of entry level climbing is top roping where there is a pulley at the top of the route and there's a rope running through it the rope goes to you it goes back up to the top of the wall and then it goes back down to another person who is also wearing a climbing harness and they have the rope um, not tied to them but uh, connected to them through a belay device. Mm -hmm. And then as you climb up, they are shortening the rope. And then if you fall, they lock the rope and you don't fall any further than the length of the rope. And the length of the rope is basically always the same distance from you to the top of the wall. So you basically, if you fall off, you fall like a foot. <laughs> and you just are hanging on a rope. So that's top roping. And then lead climbing, you you start with the rope tied to you, mm-hmm. and you bring the rope up with you. And as you go, you clip the rope into mm-hmm. carabiners along the wall. Mm-hmm. That, the, the, the issue with that one is that, one, you have to clip the rope in. And if you miss a clip, you could fall a, a, a reasonably good distance. And two, the fall is always double the length of the rope because you have to fall the height you are above the carabiner. And then because of you know how math works, you have to also have to fall the height you are below the carabiner until the rope is taut. Mm-hmm. And so the falls are longer. Mm-hmm. There's still a rope to catch you. But because they're longer, you fall faster. And like, if it's like a weird angle, you could like swing. You might swing into the wall. But usually, it's not a big. Of a, usually, it's not an issue. But anyway, that's lead climbing. Mm. So you're bringing the rope with you. We're top roping. The rope is already there, and you are climbing up to the top. And a fall is a very short distance. Lead climbing a fall could be a reasonably big distance, like a like a six foot fall or maybe a ten foot fall. Do they have, like, auto belay? Those are things, but those are dumb things. Why? And they pull... Uh, the, I've been on one, and it's always pulled too much, and I never trusted it when it was lowering me. Hmm. I just always... I prefer a human. Because <laughs> even if, like, even if the human totally screws up, like... The friction of the rope through the pulley and the rope through the belay device is probably enough that you won't be seriously injured. And the human's there, so uh, you are basically okay. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't like those auto ones. They just seem weird and wonky and not very good and uh, sketchy. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Climbing is great. You should do it. I've been once, and like, or a couple times, actually. There's a place in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I get so sore. Yeah. Because it's like all those little stabilizer muscles. Mm-hmm. And, like, my arms. Well, anytime you do a new sport, like, you get sore in kind of the, the hot spots. Yeah, but if, the sport. if I remember correctly, it felt like climbing the hot spots were everywhere. <laughs> I was a giant hotspot. I mean, like, yeah, uh, it is quite full body. <laughs> Legs, back, shoulders. Yeah. 
Maybe not so much in the chest, uh, the pectoral department, uh, but definitely a very good overall body workout. A lot of back, a lot of forearms, a lot of grip. So, like, how long do you go for? Like, how long are you? Um, like two hours ish. Hmm. Yeah, I only have so many climbs in me before I get tired, and I get tired the first. I'm I'm the least. I have the lowest stamina or endurance or whatever you want to call it for for climbing of the people who we go with mm. so i'm always the one who's like yeah i'm gonna sit this one out <laughs> you do what you want buddy you have fun with <laughs> i'm <it>. exhausted <laughs> yeah i cannot climb another foot all right so do you have for us all right nina a dumb hypothetical well what do you mean what do you mean do i have for us you still owe us one. What do you mean? I did one last week. I've done two, though. You uh, still need... If I do one now, it'll be three to one. That's outrageous. Oh, man. I wasn't prepped. Yeah, okay. I thought it was your turn. I thought we were kind of... Out, no, you didn't think it was my turn. <laughs> I you did. Were, you're trying to You're trying to. I thought it was your turn. I thought Look, it was if you don't your think it's a good turn. bit for the podcast, we'll cut it out, Nina. No, we don't I have to like it. My... I like it. I like it. Do I have to bail you out again, or are you going to come up with something? I'm going to try really hard to come up with something. <laughs> this sounds really suspicious. It's like, please quickly. help, Chris. <laughs> really quickly. Um, we're, we're still here, listeners. We're just thinking <laughs> about stuff. <laughs> about dumb stuff. We're thinking about real dumb stuff. Um, I don't know, Nina. Would you rather uh, would Would you rather have a cyclops eye on your forehead and a sideways mouth, or would you rather have two mouths where your eyes are and a giant eye where your mouth is? So, um, what happened was uh, Nina's microphone records to an SD card, and that card became too full. <laughs> so, there was more to this uh, to this show, but uh, unfortunately, this is all we this is all you get. It's uh, this is where it ends uh, at Cycloptic Island. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can tweet at Nina at Nina Shamlu on Twitter. You can tweet at me at Chris Shamlu on Twitter. Uh, she has an Instagram too. You can follow that. That would be lovely. Um, you can email the show at It's a Sham Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you.